Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. All right, Daniel, I'm going to invite you to come up. Uh, many of you know Daniel McDougall. He's been a part of us for a bunch of years. Him and Sandy. <gasps> Sandy's away on her trip. Okay, I'll let you talk about that. Um, yes, I'll turn you on. Let me turn on your... His turning on his bottom. Okay. <laughs> you asked. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, can I pray for you? Yeah, please. Okay. Please. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for who you are. All the ways that you've revealed yourself to us and especially in Jesus. We sang earlier, it was named in Sue's prayer, that there are things that break your heart and that is a good thing. You are not immovable. You are moved, your heart opens up for the aches of our world and also you delight. You are God who experiences joy, who delights in all that you have made, including us. So thank you that Daniel's our brother and we get to joke together and we get to be a community. Come and breathe on our middle school youth downstairs as Aaron and others lead their conversation today. Come and meet them. Make it a holy conversation. And for us right here, as Daniel opens up your word to us, post-resurrection Sunday, would you come and meet us here? Give us ears to hear your voice, Lord, and anoint our brother. Amen? Thanks, my friend. Well, you know I'm going to say it. Oh, let me look at you. I haven't said that for about eight months. Wow. They say that confession is good for the soul. This morning, I'm actually going to offer a version of some thoughts that I shared right here almost exactly five years ago. However, with uh, Scott's blessing, they seem especially suitable to this particular Sunday morning as we remember precisely one week after the amazing events of that first resurrection morning. And, and because what I'm about to say seems to integrate well with Scott's continuing exploration of all things new. What we discover about ourselves, even gripping, grueling things. How to name where we actually are. And as we continue to explore our, our own practical steps of grace forward, please don't worry, this isn't just a rehash. I've diligently revisited both the scriptures and our own now almost, almost post-COVID realities to, to consider what we might benefit this morning in our own present tense. As Scott mentioned, my dear wife Sandy and our daughter Morgan left yesterday for almost three weeks of visiting with Sandy's mother and extended family in Pennsylvania. Only these mere hours later, <laughs> I already missed them. <laughs> and our beloved Labradoodle Isla is already peering and panting through our front window to, 
wonder just, just where have they gone? I've got a grueling three weeks ahead with our dog. <laughs> but you know, I, although I dearly love you dear folks and my beloved wife and daughter, I revel in simple huh, Daniel time alone. And I don't mean those rare occurrences when I can, can pretend to control the TV clicker or meal choices or internet use, but simply when I can allow Daniel to be, huh, Daniel. I dearly love my family and you folks, but I cherish those times when I can simply go off the grid, remove my feeds, even my wristwatch, and simply sit and reflect without handy devices beckoning my attention. I find these all too rare times to be invigorating, restoring, even energizing for whatever might happen on my horizon ahead. And as you know, sometimes such alone times are, arrive unplanned, without prior notice. Various crises the sudden death of a beloved friend or a family member, a staffing shakeup at work, a concerning medical diagnosis, even a large unexpected household expense. These things can force us to zero in on the crisis at hand. And it needn't find our, us in a place of literal solitude, far from traffic or crowds or even internet connection. I myself, Perhaps you too have observed individuals at a mall food court or the UVic student union building, or even, dare I say, in a congregational gathering. And while they may be surrounded by lots of other folks and the buzz of conversation, even commerce, they are cocooned off alone with their own thoughts. Oh, no one is actively shunning them or ignoring them, they're simply in a place of privacy and protection while they seek a new sense of equilibrium. That's where we find Jesus' friends and followers this morning. <laughs> and perhaps that's where the ancient story can catch us. After all, none of us were present at Gethsemane, Golgotha, the garden tomb, the upper room, the unexpected explosion of grace to Jerusalem and beyond. Let's be clear, this is utterly, admittedly, unfamiliar territory to us. Yet somehow, as good church folks, we still cling to it as our familiar, our heritage, our story. Perhaps, just perhaps, there's a connection. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 24. That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, What's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of him, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? 
He said, what's happened? They said, the things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in word and deed, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. But now, some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with a story that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen? That the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went through all the prophets pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he was going on, but they pressed him, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, opened-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends gathered together talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. How will you pray with me? Father, this is a strange story from the get-go. And so we ask that you would take perhaps familiar words, bring them again to us this morning, help us to understand what happened back then and what you're about to do today and into our days ahead. So would you teach us? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So now this morning we meet two fellows, Cleopas and an unnamed companion who are trudging home to a place called Emmaus, seven miles outside Jerusalem. Do you see what's happening? While most of Jesus' followers are still huddled together in that locked upper room, in fact, we're told in, in Scripture, it was double locked, down at the street, down at the top of the stairs. Whoa. But clearly, others are cutting their losses and attempting through grief and fatigue to cobble together the vestiges of their former lives. Now, let's be clear. The story, as Dr. Luke relates to us, from the, relates to us is strange. As I said at the beginning, it's strange from the get-go. Cleopas and his friend don't recognize Jesus, someone they knew full well when he sidles up to them on their trudge home to Emmaus. 
They don't recognize him. Literally, they don't see him for who he is. Oh, the physical facts are there for their scrutiny. His voice is a real voice, not just a dream phantoms. The, vo- the road they're on is a real road, and not merely a metaphorical path. But they're unable to recognize him because a resurrected Jesus simply doesn't fit their tidy categories. And Jesus himself seems intent on withholding himself from them until they hmm, get it. And so Jesus himself fits them with new lenses, clear vision, transformed understanding, and he does it in three ways. Through the scriptures, through the meal, and through their own life experience. Again, through the scriptures, through the meal, and through their own life experience. Let's explore, shall we? First, Jesus helps his friends read the scriptures through the focusing lens of a rescuing Messiah. What do I mean? Look at Luke 24, verse 27, where we find him giving a walk-along clinic, a roadside tutorial to his disheartened disciples. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said to in all the scriptures concerning himself. He still isn't revealed as a dead but now risen Jesus, but, but Cleopas and his pal are already being transformed from despair to hope, from a depressed what was, to a promising what if. We're not guessing at this reaction. Because when they later recalled their conversation with Jesus on that seven-mile trek to Emmaus, then they excitedly exclaimed to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Again, we find the same thing just a few verses on. Mere hours later, or however long it took the excited prayer to hightail it back to Jerusalem, when they blurt out their news to their befuddled friends in that locked upper room, Jesus himself tells them that they shouldn't be so shocked at his scandalously physical return in the flesh. Verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. You see, the integrating factor in all of Scripture is the lens of Jesus, who he is, why he came, where he come from, what his priorities are, what's God on about in his agenda of grace. Focus, 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 Jesus tells them. Scripture isn't just a random library of stories and histories and poems and laws and predictions and warnings and miracles. No, Jesus unpacked for his friends then and again to us this morning, it's all come to a fine-tuned focus in who Jesus is and God's rescue offered to you today. This day, now, will you let your eyes be opened? Mm -hmm. But that's not all. Not only does Jesus help his friends read the scriptures through the focusing lens of Jesus, but second, 
I hope you'll be wondrously scandalized that he also helps his friends read the meal through the lens of Jesus. Not just the communion meal that we'll be enjoying in just a few moments, but in regular food, common meals, plain old, plain old eating. Read the meal? (laughs) Don't we usually just eat meals? We all know that food sustains us and that we need regular nutrition to keep our bodily machines running in good order. But look at what Jesus does in an evening meal in Emmaus and in an even later midnight brunch seven miles distant back in Jerusalem. Do you catch it? Hearts are burning and not just acid reflux. (laughs) Excuse me. When Jesus talked about Godward orientation at that roadside tutorial. But it was also in the physical blessing and breaking of bread that the Emmaus pair, they recognized Jesus. Ah, so too, later that same night, back in Jerusalem, Jesus presented his pierced hands and feet to his gathered friends, himself in the flesh, not some long-concealed twin brother, Just look a little later, a little further on in Luke 24, beginning at verse 36, and see how it echoes, echoes the resurrection story we heard just last Sunday. While they were still talking about this, comparing notes about the two guys who had returned from Emmaus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Hmm. You see, the final confirmation of Jesus having a literal, living, physical body is his simple ingestion of a piece of broiled fish. Go figure, nothing religious at all. The fish enters a real human mouth. It tumbles down a real human esophagus and it enters a real human stomach. Jesus is alive. He's alive in the real world. He's alive without any aura of phantom ghostliness or sacred metaphor or transcendent phoenix from the ashes or some other such nonsense. Easily explained away from the merely physical. No, fish, stomach, about as earthy as you can get. You see, Jesus himself helps us to read, really perceive God and his scandalously real resurrection and redemption through the means of what? Real food, a real rescuer, real bread and wine, without resorting to mere poetry and sidestepping religiosity. He gets your pain. He gets your family dysfunction. He gets your brave mask 
of success when underneath seeds all sorts of confusion and those thin edges and perhaps even outright failure. Ah, be encouraged. This is precisely where Jesus meets us again this morning. He gets you. If you hear nothing else, he gets you. He's not interested in masks or postures or coping mechanisms. Trust me, I know this full well, firsthand. And yeah, he wants to meet you in the meal. Clearly, the scriptures describing the repercussions of the resurrection tell us that Jesus is keen to meet you in your real-life meals, your questioning over broiled fish. Is he literally who he says he is? Is he really there in your darkest places where religious folks are spooked by the taint of getting dirty? (laughs) Ah, dear folks, no really know that rescue, God's rescue offered to you is available and he's eagerly awaiting to help you to receive his free gift. Hmm. Well, not only is Jesus the focusing lens of Godward redemption, helping us to really understand scripture, and not only is Jesus the focusing lens of Godward orientation through a meal, helping us really understand how food and practical nitty-gritties, not just religious stuff, how these things point us toward a caring and sustaining God. But third, third, Jesus is a focusing lens to help us understand our own real lives, not just some information out there. Do you notice that everyone, everyone who encounters Jesus after the resurrection has their own encounter, their own perspective? I'm intrigued, aren't you, that Jesus doesn't convene a big gala event, perhaps on the temple steps themselves. Instead, he meets folks in ones and twos, in small groups, in a graveyard, in a locked upper room, in a roadside conversation, even for Thomas after an eight-day time delay. You see, each of them had a piece of the puzzle. And it wasn't until they excitedly began comparing notes and personal experiences that they started to be confirmed that Jesus really is alive. Their own life was knit together with others who had encountered the risen Jesus. Sandy and I have a dear friend named Sally. Several years ago, Sally received that most awful of news, breast cancer. Thus began an unexpected, grieving, but transformative trajectory for Sally. But as she was caught in the vortex of her own pain and bewilderment, Sally met other women here in Victoria who were undergoing the same trauma and treatment, and together they bore one another's burdens and they celebrated with hope. Today, Sally... This story always gets me. (laughs) Excuse me. Today, Sally is one of nine women. The H bear a small puzzle piece tattoo on the inside of their wrists. 
Separately, these pieces seem to have little or no meaning. Look at the picture. But together, they combine to make that familiar pink ribbon of breast cancer awareness. Isn't that great? Aren't you, aren't you glad that we don't only have, the map, only have the empty tomb that Mary saw early that resurrection morning? Aren't you glad that we don't have only Peter and John's view of discarded linens? Hmm? Or any a number of other post-resurrectional puzzle pieces in isolation? No, they all come together to give us the big picture. Jesus really is, not was, is alive. And guess what? You too carry a puzzle piece. The encounter that only you have with Jesus, which can encourage and affirm the rest of us. And perhaps our puzzle pieces will help yours make sense. Do you remember last Sunday in the baptismal tank here? The stories we heard encouraged us. People weren't clapping afterwards, after each one, because they thought, whoa, that's a great thing. They were saying, yes, I get that. And yet the stories were so different. Why are these things important? Reading the scriptures through the lens of Jesus reading our engagement with food and plain old practical physical stuff through the lens of Jesus, reading our own life experience through the lens of Jesus. Why are these important? If we don't see scripture through the lens of Jesus, we run the very real risk of being biblically literate but absolutely miss the boat on what God is actually doing. After all, after all, who were the Bible scholars in Jesus' own day, and what was their response? Hmm? If we don't see the communion meal and plain old everyday food through the lens of Jesus, we run the very real risk of regarding food as nothing more than fuel, or even a perverse occasion for competition. Sometimes scan the TV listings for the Food Network or the abuse of the communion meal in Paul's first letter to those folks in Corinth. If we don't see our own life experience through the lens of Jesus, we run the very real risk of only seeing, assessing our dreams of significance through personal success or failure. And these things have moving goalposts, don't they? Hmm? Instead of the context that Jesus gives us for unexpected rescue and real meaning, what does he say? I have come to give you, to bring you life, he says, and that you, yes, you, insert your name there, you might have it abundantly. And so may the risen Lord Jesus encounter you. I'm going to close by reading a poem. Sounds kind of funny. It was written by an American writer, Frederick Beekner, about 50 years ago, but boy, it is up to date this morning. It's called Seven Stanzas at Easter. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the amino acids rekindle, the molecules re-knit, the church will fall. 
It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes. The same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not papier-mâché, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we will have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Isn't that great? I love that. It grabs scripture in a different way. And so, may he, the risen Lord Jesus, now still alive, risen Lord Jesus, open the eyes of your heart so that you can truly see him, so that you will know your rescuer lives. And moving into this week, may he utterly transform you and your real life, your 24-7, as your abundant expression of gratitude and sheer joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Scott.